This is a Chronicle podcast, bringing you ideas in the service of medicine. From the Chronicle podcast system, this is the NPC podcast of the National Pharmaceutical Congress for June 7, 2023. The NPC podcast is where we discuss and consider the purpose, process and people of the pharma industry, and today, we'll continue the healthcare conversation. This program is presented in cooperation with Impress, Canada's next-generation commercial partner. The industry is rapidly evolving, and Impress is designed to help you evolve with it. Learn more about Impress tailored best-in-class solutions at www.impress.com. Our guest today is Anne Gomez, founder of Clear Concept, a global training organization based in Toronto. Anne will join your hosts, Jim, Mark, and Mitch. And to start today's conversation, here's Mitch Shannon, CEO of Chronicle Companies. Welcome back to the NPC podcast from the National Pharmaceutical Congress. This is the special, hey, today's Mitch's birthday edition, and I'm your celebrating co-host Mitch Shannon, just plain chuffed to be spending my 39th birthday here with my homeboys in the NPC gondola. There's bound to be some arm punching, a high-spirited sing-along, some kind of cake, and lots of other surprises. So joining the festivities on this special day is the special James Shea, General Manager of the Council for Continuing Pharmaceutical Education in Montreal. Jim, you've been explaining to me for quite a while now that it's not always all about me, but our listeners will want to know, what kind of present did you bring me? Well, actually, Mitch, this is quite embarrassing. I thought your voicemail about bringing presents meant, you know, bring more energy. So sorry, man. Uh, Maybe later, okay? Jeez. Because those two words sound so much alike, presence and presence. Yes, I, I sort of see where someone else might have made that mistake. Use email next time. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Another party guest who needs no introduction and certainly needs no festive party hat is Mark McElwain, the distinguished pharmaceutical industry consultant and life sciences expert. Mark, thank you for that nice card that you picked up at Shoppers Drug Mart and uh, paid for with Optimum Points. Uh, after we've recorded today's episode, I'll take it out and read it. How does that sound? Well, it's all about the thought that counts. You know, when I went to Shoppers, it was the best thing I could find there to give, especially now that they've managed to offload their medical cannabis division. Yeah, and uh, that's definitely the subject of an upcoming NPC podcast episode, but we'll save that for a while. Year in and year out, we are your podcast hosts, known simply as Jim, Mark, and Mitch, because all the really creative brand names have already been taken, such as Flamin' Hot Cheetos and Volkswagen ID Buzz. So we'll make some room in the gondola, guys. Uh, spread out. Welcome in our guest, Anne Gomez. Anne, uh, so glad you could join us this morning. Well, I'm already thrilled to be here. You guys are having so much fun. I just want to hang out with you every day. Can we make this a pattern? A daily podcast? I think we could do that. We got to save it up for a couple of months to be able to be good like this. Not getting any younger, as I pointed out. So, Anne, you are the founding president of Clear Concept Incorporated. Could you tell us a bit more about your organization and the vision behind it? Absolutely. We are a training company, and our focus is on helping people thrive at work and really if I kind of really peel back the curtain here, basically what my passion is, my vision and what I share with our team is I'm trying to help create this magical work experience that I had early in my career when I worked for a pharmaceutical company. 
I worked for a company called Searle, which is no longer, is kind of part of the Pfizer machine now. But we had this magical culture. We called it the Searle magic. And hearing the three of you banter reminds me of those Searle days. Like people showed up, they had, we had fun together. We were well-connected and we did great work. And that is exactly the kind of workplace that we all deserve to work in. And that's what my team and I are so passionate about helping to create, helping companies train their leaders, train their individuals on how can we create that magical culture. Hmm. Well, anytime we hear the word fun, uh, Mark jumps in immediately. So uh, Mark has the next couple of questions. Thanks. So your work focuses on productivity. And so in your experience, what are the most pressing challenges that hold back professionals in the workplace from being more productive? So I love this question. I've been thinking about this question a lot. I go back two decades ago and I was a management consultant after my pharma days. And I learned a lot during that experience. And I also think that I made it more difficult than it needed to be. I think a lot of us make life and work more difficult than it needs to be. So I've been thinking a lot about productivity throughout my career. And in this day and age, I think there are three challenges we're faced with. Way too many interruptions, too many priorities, and just complicating work. Too much complication. Probably not a surprise to you. My suggestion is we manage the interruptions. We're not going to eliminate them. I'm going to keep getting emails, text messages, people who want to chat, dogs that need to be pet. Like that's going to happen all day long. But what can I do to carve out some focus time? Because we also need that focus time. So how can I be responsive and accessible, but not instantly responsive? I don't need to respond. I don't have to have email open on my second screen. And if we create this culture that encourages people to carve out focus time so they can have that prime peak, you know, in the zone level of productivity, then we're creating a better workplace. So that's first. Second, stop trying to boil the ocean. Like we are trying to do 19 priorities at any one time. It's just a recipe for diluting our impact and creating stress and frustration. So we as leaders need to be clear on what are our core priorities. I talk about the magic of three. There's some great research around three by three. And then of course that trickles down, right? So there's different levels of projects and initiatives aligned to that. But we can't have 7, 12, 15 priorities, or we're just diluting our efforts. And third, we all need to be open to simplifying, which includes finding opportunities to scale back, to streamline, to seek help. And I'm not suggesting we cut corners. I'm suggesting we just focus on what's most important and let go of some of the periphery. So you emphasize the importance of identifying three core priorities and you know, I really like that. I remember one boss who had, you know, 20 priorities and, you know, my line was like, no, th- those aren't priorities. But could you share some strategies for minimizing the impact of distractions to ensure that we get some progress on those priorities? Yeah, I think it's a communication. I think it's a negotiation, right? So there's a lot of leaders out there who are great at coming up with ideas. And I'm one of those people. So I'm really good in a meeting of saying, oh, I have a new idea. And my team actually has a joke about, oh, Anne has an idea. What a shock. So what's so important as a team, and especially for us as leaders, is to be open to exploring new opportunities, right? There's some times when it makes sense to shift our focus, to jump on an opportunity, to always be clear on the ranking. What are we focused on now versus what's a someday maybe idea? I call those future priorities. So we've got the three core priorities. This is what our focus is now. And always coming back to that in team meetings, in one-on-one meetings, 
in your own reflection, right? With your own plan, being clear on what those three priorities are. And that's important for us as individuals, also important for our, our team. And so when our team comes to us and says, I'm overwhelmed, there's too much to do. What do I work on first? We come back to that plan. And helping our team be clear on what those core priorities are is, is one of our most essential management slash leadership roles. Because when people are trying to run with an idea you might have casually thrown out in a meeting, they're spreading themselves too thin. So that, that clear communication about what's, what are our three priorities is something that needs to be said over and over and over again. Yeah, here, here. <laughs> yeah, you also believe that routines are a superpower. It's Jim here, by the way. And how individuals leverage routines into increased productivity. Can you talk about that a, a little bit? Oh, Jim, I'm so glad you brought up routines. I love routines. I, early in my career, I heard a seasoned entrepreneur who was very kind of successful talk about the flexibility he had earned. And I thought, oh, that's the, the mecca of work when you have full flexibility. But that was such a flawed myth of mine at the time. What we know is that too much flexibility invites tangents, invites procrastination, invites kind of not optimal work. So routines are our superpower. And I, I, I am, I would go so far as to say obsessed with studying how the most elite performers function. And so I love to interview people and kind of just glean, how do you fit it all in? How do you do so much? And what the theme I hear over and over and over again is that they build routines. They pay themselves first. They protect time for what's most important. What's most important versus what's urgent because we're often seen chasing the urgent thing, but the important things we need to carve out that time. So a, a routine is, is not just reinventing the wheel each day. It's about saying, here's what my week looks like, my optimal week looks like. And some people have every day look similar. Some people would have like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, I go into the office, Monday, Fridays look slightly different. Um, some people would say, well, I, these days I'm doing client work. These days I'm doing product development work. These days I'm focusing on research. So days can look very different, but we're clear on how we've protected time. And we don't have to follow that routine perfectly. We just want to put that plan in place and aim to adhere to that plan most of the time. And then we're creating magic. Yeah, I like that. I like that. You also talk about simplify to amplify is a concept that's practiced by some of the best you know, world leaders or the most productive people in the world. Could you explain that idea a little further and maybe provide some, some tangible, practical tips for us? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. One example of the simplified filter in action is to watch a senior person make a decision. They don't succumb to analysis paralysis. They're able to discern the key factors. They're able to rank those. They're a, they, they have a sense of comfort of making a decision that's good enough, right? So there's, what is the term? They're satisfying as opposed to maximizing. And, and we can all have a high bar, but when we simplify, we don't feel the need to go down every rabbit hole. We focus on hitting that bar, but not aiming for perfection. And one of the challenges that gets in our way of simplifying our work is a fear of failure. And this is what leads to analysis paralysis. This leads to that striving for perfectionism, that kind of concern of, for making a mistake. So people kind of overwork situations. They overthink situations. 
And so instead, we want to think of this philosophy, done is better than perfect. And that's not implying sloppy work. That's implying that getting something out there for a reaction is more important than holding it within you. Right? So Jim, for let's say we're working on a project together, booking an interim review with you. Say, Jim, this isn't fully fleshed out yet, but I want to get your thoughts here. And this now gives you a chance to say, oh, Anne, let's leave that, but let's really go down deep on here. I've just saved so much time in that work that wasn't necessary on that unnecessary tangent. So those are a few examples of how we can simplify. And of course, seek help, right? Too many people are like, no, 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 I've got it. I've got it. No, I don't want to trouble you. It's all on me. They don't ask for help. They don't accept help. It's a team sport we're playing. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you, you brought up the concept of team because you're talking about leaders and what people, you know, how they should be making decisions. Uh, you know, the idea of gut feel is not, you know, it's, it's about wisdom and, and making decisions based on a certain amount of data and getting doing it fast. But how would you suggest measuring the strength of teams and what factors are supposed to be considered when you're dealing with the team? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Another question I love. Uh, because the strength of our team very much impacts how we work. We're not sole practitioners. We're working with teams, right? A, a team will outperform a group of individuals any day. The best evidence of a strong team is the strength of their connections. So a high performance team has strong connections across the whole team. So let's say, Mark, you and I have a really strong connection, right? I know who the key people are in your personal life. I know that your dog just had ear surgery last week. I know what motivates you. I know what your strengths are. We've had shared wins. We've worked through some challenges, right? We turn to each other. We support each other in board meetings. So Mark and I have a strong connection, right? Mitch, I met him on a Zoom call a while back. I think he told me a couple of things about his personal life. I wasn't really listening, frankly. That would be a low performance team where there's spotty connections, some strong, some weak. There are some people are, who are on the in, they get the information, they're kind of like the in crowd, they go for coffee, right? They have friends at work. There's others who just notice that they're not quite on the in. A high performance team invests in strong connections across the board, across the board. And so a, a simple exercise is to have everyone on the team rank how well connected they are. So on a scale of one to 10, how strongly am I connected to Mitch, to Jim, to Mark? And I suggest you rank the 10 people you work with most closely with on a scale of one to 10 and consider, do I know what their strengths are? Do I know what motivates them? Have we had some shared wins? Do we have open communication where we can talk through challenges also? Do conversations flow easily? Do I know things about them personally? Because if I'm paying attention, then I hear that their dog had ear surgery. I hear that they're planning this epic hike coming up in the summer. And I circle back to that. I show up as my authentic self and I feel like we have each other's back. So those are the, the different ways we measure the strength. And then for me to just consider those factors and rank, how strongly am I connected to Mitch, Jim, and Mark? And then get my average. And if my average is a 8.6 out of 10, I'm in great shape. If my average is a 4.3 out of 10, with wide variance in my scores, then I've got some work to do. Well, I mean, we all wrote down that today's Mitch's birthday, so I, I feel much closer to him now. Hopefully, we'll do better in our next podcast. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We're learning about productivity from Ann Gomez of Clear Concept Incorporated today on the NPC podcast. Here's Mark McElwain with a follow-up question. So I have a question about 
feedback. And usually we hear lots of advice to give more feedback to our staff, but I'm going to ask about what strategies or techniques individuals can use to receive feedback and use it to their advantage effectively. You guys are hitting all the topics that I absolutely love. So feedback is a gift. Feedback helps to elevate our skills, uncover blind spots, support our development, which leads to more opportunities and more confidence and greater career success. Feedback is a, is a non-negotiable. Feedback needs to happen. And if we want to receive feedback, we cannot just leave this up to other people. I can't control whether people are comfortable giving me feedback. I can't control how they give me feedback. I can control how well I receive and prompt feedback conversations. And so we really want to go into feedback conversations viewing it as a gift, not a threat to our social standing. And therefore, the first thing I should say when someone gives me feedback, Jim, let's say you're giving me feedback and maybe you're under a lot of stress uh, and I might have maybe I made a mistake and I messed things up for you and you might be quite frustrated with me. And so your feedback to me could come, you know, tasting a little bit like a bitter pill. The very first thing, and this takes some practice, the very first thing I want to say to create more opportunities for feedback is thank you. Even if my temptation is to be defensive, well, what about you, Jim? I might've done that, but you did this. I might be tempted to be defensive, but the very first thing I should say to tap into the power of feedback is to say thank you. And this doesn't mean I have to agree with everything that Jim has said. But what I want to do is keep the door open for more feedback. So I I need to, I want to say thank you. Then I want to commit to reflecting because in the moment I might feel defensive, right? Feedback is, does kind of hit us at our core. It feels like a threat. So I'm going to go away and with a clear head after a good sleep, after I've had a bit of a snack, I'm going to reflect. And, And then I start to think, okay, wait a second. You know what? I think there is some truth to what Jim said. He could have said it nicer, but there is some truth, right? So I'm going to reflect and I'm going to take ownership. I'm going to assume this internal locus of control. And then I'm going to circle back. Jim, thanks again for giving that feedback. Here's what I've done differently. Here's how I've integrated the feedback. And of course, all of this is under the context of assuming it's valid, just feedback, right? If if it's biased feedback, this is another, that's a whole other scenario. But that temptation to not have that knee-jerk defensive reaction is so important to resist. Thank you. I'll take that feedback. So personal well-being also contributes to productivity. Do you have some advice on how professionals can assess their habits to ensure they aren't neglecting their own well-being? Mm, Absolutely. So we we all show up more productive. We all show show up more collaborative, more resilient, more open to feedback if we are prioritizing our well-being. And I have worked across many industries throughout my career and, and the pharmaceutical, the life sciences, the healthcare industry really does show such great leadership on prioritizing well-being. And so it is important for us as individuals to build routines around our well-being and to assess. So going back to the question of how do we evaluate our well-being so it says, like, how energized am I, right? Our energy is, is a great reflection of our how much we've prioritized our well-being. And there's a lot of people who, you ask them how they are, and they say, oh, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm so tired. So I really try not to coach people when I'm casually seeing them sitting on the side of the hockey game, 
But, but if we're too tired, then this prompts us to, to have the self-reflection to say, what am I doing for my sleep routine? Sleep is a Swiss army knife of health. Sleep is the number one. So do I have a good bedtime routine? Do I keep my room dark? Have I parked my phone far, far away? Am I um, making use of opportunities like meditating and journaling to and affirmations to let go of the things I might be worrying about to make sure I'm having that good sleep? And then, of course, our nutrition, our physical fitness, our mindset, all of these play into our overall energy level. But I believe, once again, going back to that whole, let's all thrive at work, that we all deserve to have 10 out of 10 in terms of energy, if not 11 out of 10. 11. Yeah, exactly. I got to bring more presents. (laughs) Exactly. You know, I think you guys are all killing. I think you guys got 11 out of 10. We wake up in the morning, we put our feet on the floor and we say, this is going to be a great day. And if we don't have a lot of energy, why is that? Why is that? Of course, we're going to oscillate on the, the continuum, right? This is part of the human spectrum. We're going to oscillate. We're going to have better days than others. But how can we raise our bar so that most days are fantastic days? And that can require us to raise our hand and say, I could use some help here. And it also, we also benefit by prioritizing our well-being. Like just sleep alone. Again, I am so much of a better human being when I have a good sleep. Yep. It's uh Something that's hard to do sometimes, right? It's Jim again. So life balance, life balance, work-life balance, work-life balance. You hear it all the time, you know? We're not doing it in most cases. And how frustrating is that for you when you're talking to people? And, you know, a couple of off-the-cuff things you can tell us we should do it. So many of the things we've talked about already affect our work-life balance. Like people multitasking throughout the days means work takes longer to complete. And that's why people log in at 10 o'clock at night because they didn't get the work done earlier when they were on email all day long. Feeling really well connected to our colleagues also improves our work-life balance, right? Relationships are the number one predictor of a long and healthy life. That's based on the Harvard longitudinal study of happiness and well-being. The other thing are routines that we've talked about. So knowing when your, your work starts and when it ends, right? Work expands to fill the time allotted. So if I'm going to shut down when the work is done, I will never turn my computer off. So we need routines. I think about my first manager in pharma. I was a pharmaceutical rep at the time. So we were um, a virtual team, ironically, way back before, uh, you know, it was the, the hot thing. And so we were out in the field all day. And, and then our leader told all of his direct reports, all of us, that we could contact him. In the evening, if we have questions, that's when we would get in touch with him. But he said, not between 6 and 8 p.m. Because he had a young family at the time. He said, that's when I do dinner. We're doing bad time, bedtime. And he held those boundaries. It's so important for us to establish our boundaries. And if there's exceptions, yes, there's exceptions. But we need to know what our boundaries are. And then we work proactively to manage within those boundaries. So book yourself a class at the gym. Book yourself a walk with your neighbor, right? You know, whatever it is, to create some structure in your day. Those routines really help us to create that work-life balance. I remember having a CEO uh, at Merck Frost where he came in at nine and left at five. Why? Not because he didn't ha- that he was finished his work. It's because he had to demonstrate to those around him that work-life balance was something important. And the guy was, you know, working at night like crazy. We know that. 
But he had to demonstrate to everybody else that if he could do those hours in and out on time, then everybody else can try and do that too. So it's, you know, trying to walk the talk is, is important too for leadership. So can I add something to that, Jim? Because I just think that's so important for us to to model that as great leaders, which is um, not to be sending emails evenings, weekends, nonstop. So there was uh, lots of companies have implemented uh, policies around this, recognizing the importance of uh, work-life balance. But uh, years ago, Johnson & Johnson Consumer Division launched a, a Freedom 6 to 6 program where no emails were to be sent between 6 p.m. and 6 a.m. If you, as a leader, have decided to shift your work hours and you want to create emails at eight o'clock at night, go for it. But are you prioritizing your own well-being and make sure you put a delivery delay so that you're not creating the expectation that your team is responding because they're going to listen to what you do, not what you say. You might have that postscript that says only respond to emails in your working hours. No, they're going to listen to what you're doing, which is you work in the evening. Yeah, for sure. You've mentioned in some of your responses to our questions, the idea of booking time to do, and you said, you know, activities and, you know, to get out there kind of thing. Well, let's switch to that too. I mean, building movement into the day, you know, we hear now that sedentary lifestyle is, you know, worse than smoking. It's worse than this. It's worse. It's the worst thing possible. You know, and my 15 minutes a day of exercise isn't going to, going to work out for me. You know, I have a standing desk. I have a treadmill. You know, when I go down from the gondola, you know, uh, that's my exercise for the day. But I, I, where I sit, uh, I have a treadmill 15 feet in front of me. I have a stationary bike six feet from that. Guess what? I, I rarely use those stupid things. Uh, stupid things. Important things, I could say. I'm the stupid thing. So, you know, what are some of the practical tips that you can provide me and others who uh, choose to listen, <laughs> um, you know, strategies for actually incorporating more movement into daily routines while I'm bringing presence? I love it. I love it. So, okay. So you're right. A sedentary lifestyle is horrible for us. Our bodies are designed to move. And yet with all of us who our job involves working on a computer, it's really easy to sit for most of our days. And a lot of leisure time is spent with sedentary activities, right? What do we do when we get together with an old friend? We sit down at a restaurant, we, we sit down. So what? how can we make some shifts here? Can we do walking meetings, right? So Jim, you could hop on that treadmill and do a planning meeting with your colleagues, hop on your, your, your bike. I think it would be great if you were on your bike during podcasts like this. Yeah. Um, so can we get up and stretch during the day? Can we have accountability? Right. So a lot, there's great devices. I, I track my steps on my, my watch. Um, Mitch, I, I know you, you were holding up your watch earlier. That accountability helps me make sure that I get off my butt. So today I've been on a lot of, of calls where I don't want to be on my, I have a treadmill desk and I'll go on it for internal calls, but not for external calls. So here I am sitting about halfway do, through my workday and my step count is pretty crummy, I hate to admit. So I have this kick in the butt, kind of the self-imposed kick in the butt to make sure I'm active. I'm not sitting. And, and the thing with habits, so Jim, when I think about your, your treadmill and when I think about your, your bike, commit to tiny steps that are so small you can't fail. This is how we build habits. So let me tell you how I, I built my flossing habits. See my teeth, how nice they are? Um, yeah, thank you. I've always been a great brusher. 
teeth brush it, right? But flossing, I'm more, I used to be more like the week before the dentist and maybe three. The day, <laughs> the day before. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so BJ Fogg wrote a book called Tiny Steps. And in this book, he talked about habit, he talks about habit formation. He, he says, if you want to start a flossing habit, commit to flossing one tooth, which sounds ridiculous, right? Ridiculous. So that night after reading that, I looked in the mirror, I brushed my teeth and I thought, okay, I think I can do one tooth. And so I did, I floss one tooth and then I ended up flossing all of them. I usually floss all of them, but I celebrate success after one tooth, a step that's so small, you can't fail. So Jim, I would suggest that you commit to getting on one of those, your bike, your treadmill for one minute a day, and then it grows from there. Make it happen. And it's Mark again. So tiny steps towards the end of the podcast, and we're going to invite you now to play our word association game. So just go ahead and say the first thing that comes to your mind in response to each of the following words. So are you ready? I am. I'm a little bit afraid, but I'm ready. That's great. Okay. Productivity. Making time for what you value most. Collaboration. Trust. Routine. Superpower. <laughs> Leadership. Helping people thrive. Wellness. Your foundation. Well, what you don't know is that we were actually secretly providing points for those answers. And there's a plethora. A plethora is a huge number to the power of a of a huge number. I just made it up, actually. I'm bringing more presence. It's a, it's a gift that I give uh, with making up new words. So yeah, there you go. I love it. I'll take that, Laura. Excellent. Yeah. We talked about getting more active and there was nobody more active than Indiana Jones and his Stetson. It's time to put on your soothsayer's hat, enter our prognostication corner, spelt with a K because we can with a K and, you know, make some bold predictions. So what bold predictions do you have for the life science industry or, you know, how about the coaching and, you know, understanding people industry during the next 12 to 24 months? Okay. So as I peer into my crystal ball, what I think about is where we, what we've just come through this pandemic where people, employee bases became so much more empowered and willing to lobby on behalf of what they want. And there was a lot of job switching and there was a talent shortage. And so employers wanted to make sure that people had what they wanted. And then the question becomes, well, that this elastic going to bounce back, right? So during slower times, when there's less shift, will there be kind of less employee driven autonomy and power? And I don't believe there will. I believe that the world has forever shifted and that the highest performance teams will be those who understand the power of creating high-performance cultures, granting autonomy, helping people work with meaning, helping people feel connected to a bigger purpose and connected to colleagues. And like I said, my very first full-time work experience was in, in life sciences and pharma. And the... I believe that pharma has the opportunity and health sciences has the health opportunity to lead the charge here. I've worked across a number of different industries in my years, and I certainly come across some examples of high-performance teams, but not as consistently as I see in this sector. And so I think what we're going to continue to see is 
the life sciences industry continuing to lead the charge about what a high performance team is going to look like. One supplementary question is that certainly the manager and rep relationship was virtual in many cases anyway. Do you think that because of a large proportion of you know the pharma industry already having been positioned in a virtual relationship, telephone calls, you know, these types of things, using WebEx for 15 years, do you think that we might be ahead because of that? It's hmm. a good question. Probably. I think what, in my experience, I've also observed is the appreciation for in-person time in addition to the virtual teaming. So I'm, I am a fan of hybrid work because I think that's what creates the best opportunity for all of us. We know, and the research is very clear on this, that we're social beings. Meeting on camera is way better than meeting on phone, right? We can see body language. We can kind of pick up on cues from one another, but it's still an artificial construct. And our, our brains view it as an artificial construct, right? We know that when we meet in person, we sync with each other. We get to know each other better. We pick up on more nuances. Our brain waves synchronize. And so teams that lean into also prioritizing time to spend time together in person are the ones who went out. So maybe going back to your question, some of the virtual teams in life sciences, are they at the head of the curve? I think yes, in that they also appreciated the need to have some in-person time. Most teams were not exclusively virtual. So Ann Gomez, you've shared some dental hygiene tips and a, a few other unexpected topics. Let me tap into the power of feedback and say thank you for spending some time with us today and all those pointers. And by the way, you do have very good teeth. I thank you. My dentist is, is very good at what he does. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. We'll spend some time with you again next week. If you've got questions or would like to be in touch with Anne, just send an email to health at chronicle.org. We always invite your comments about today's conversation. And here's something I just thought of. If you attach your question as a short voice clip, you might just find yourself part of a future episode. Imagine the respect you'll get. We hope you enjoyed today's NPC podcast. If you did, please like it, rate it, recommend it, and remember to share it with your network. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Or, for the verbally inclined, just ask your smart device to play the National Pharmaceutical Congress podcast on Audible, Spotify, Amazon Music, YouTube or TuneIn Radio. The NPC podcast is presented in cooperation with Impress, Canada's next-generation commercial partner. Check them out at www.impress.com. This is your announcer, Leona Void, speaking. This podcast was produced by Jeremy Visser, with help from Kylie Rebenick. Research for this program came from Alan Ryan. The musical theme is performed with casual confidence by the NPC Podcast Orchestra, under the direction of Maestro Lazaric Milbrook. We'll speak again next week.